Hey everyone, it's Derek here. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Abstract. I'm here with Dan. How's it going, Dan? It's going well. Derek, I hear uh, you submitted a little application recently. Yeah, so it's a busy time for us. It's residency interview season, which is very, very exciting. I have my first interview in three days. Super exciting. What are you applying into? So I'm very excited to be applying into pathology. Some of you might know that I'm like really into like imaging and microscopy, and I'm just really excited to, you know, learn more about it. Some of our listeners might not know what it means to do a pathology residency or to be a pathologist in the hospital. Can you tell us very briefly what it means? Oh, sure. This is like one of my favorite things because I do think it's like pathology is a very big black box, but it's super important within medicine. So there are two areas of pathology. One's called anatomic pathology. So these are the people who read biopsies. Um, You know, if you have some sort of unknown mass and they biopsy it and they want to be like, is it cancer? Is it not cancer? If it is cancer, what type of cancer? So it's super important because it guides a lot of the treatments. Like all of these things are basically based on the diagnosis that the pathologist makes. And the other area of pathology is clinical pathology. So anytime you get a lab test, a blood test of any sort, it goes to a clinical pathology lab and they just make sure like, all the machines are working properly, that the tests are accurate, um, because that's really important for, you know, managing all different types of conditions and diagnosis as well. And Dan, what do you end up applying into? I'm applying in internal medicine. And I know from my perspective, when you're in the hospital, it's the pathologists who are responsible for generating so much of the data that is used to guide clinical decision making, like Derek said, from the lab tests that patients get every day to more technical assessments, like if somebody had a biopsy and you want to know if it's an infection or cancer or something else, all of the diagnoses and treatments come from the pathologist. So thanks for your service, Derek. You're welcome. I've heard people describe pathologists as the doctor's doctor, and I really like that just because it's true, pathologists don't really see patients, and I think when most people think of doctors and physicians, they think of patient-facing doctors. But, you know, there's a lot that goes into medicine, and pathology, like, as a field, is one of the things I think that makes, like, the world of medicine go round. Do you think on your white coat you can have doctor's doctor written? (laughs) I'm going to have Derek Sung, MD, PhD, doctor's doctor. (laughs) Deal. Well, what we're talking about today might not be as important as all of the pathologists combined, but we are really excited for the episode today. Yeah, Dan has been talking about this for like weeks. I think it's Dan's new favorite topic. So here on... BTA, we like to keep it fresh and change subjects, but sometimes the topic of an old episode develops so quickly and consequentially we have to do an update episode. So it's been less than a year since our last episode on GLP-1s and already like a lot has happened and we thought like we just had to do an update. Totally. So to review, over the last couple years, A new class of drugs have really become household names. You see them on TV, 
and you've heard about them in the news. They're Azempic and Wagovi. And those two drugs are actually the same molecule at different doses, a molecule called semaglutide. And semaglutide is one molecule in a group of similar compounds called GLP-1 medications. And to review, these medications were originally developed as drugs for treating diabetes, and it just so happened that when they were running clinical trials to evaluate the GLP-1 drugs for diabetes, they found that the drugs caused dramatic weight loss, so started their use as weight loss drugs. They're typically given every week as injections into the skin. What's been seen in trials is that, on average, people lose a lot of weight, like 15%, an amount that rivals bariatric surgery. So these are really effective medications. These drugs have become super popular, like to the extent that even my sister and my brother-in-law who are not in science or medicine know about them. They know people that are on these drugs. And as a result, they're in short supply because their maker, the Danish company Novo Nordisk, has had some difficulty keeping up with demand. With all that demand and the roughly $1,000 a month cost, Novo Nordisk has made a lot of money, and a favorite statistic of mine is that two-thirds of Denmark's economic growth last year as a country was due to the pharmaceutical industry, of which Novo Nordisk was by far the biggest player. Okay, so we've got the sense these medications are already huge in the obesity market. Let's first talk about the news in the world of GLP-1s for obesity management, and then we're going to discuss their use in other medical areas outside of obesity. So there are two new studies of GLP-1 medications that we want to talk about today. There are these two studies that are nearly identical, except that they look at two different new medications. So let's talk about these studies together to make everything a little simpler. The studies were testing new medications similar to Ozempic slash Wagovi, that's the brand name, but with key differences. Both trials were sponsored by the drug's manufacturer, Eli Lilly, and both were published in the New England Journal of Medicine in June of 2023. Remember that Wagovi is injected weekly, and the first study was looking at another medication that's similar to Wagovi and also injected weekly. This one is called ritatritide, and the key difference compared to Wagovi is that this new medication is more potent. And specifically, while Wagovi goes after a single target called GLP-1, like we mentioned, this medication targets the same GLP-1 plus two other targets. And the idea was that going after more targets with a single medication, the weight loss effect might be greater. And the second medication goes after a shortcoming of Wagovi, and that's that nobody likes to inject themselves with a needle. I've tried this on myself with a Wagovi injector that didn't have any... Um, Wagovi in it, and it's small, but it's still uncomfortable. So this drug, called Orphaglopron, is actually a pill that you take every day that goes after the same target 
as Wagovi. So instead of an injection, now you get to take a pill, which for some people would make it much more attractive. It's important to talk about how these studies were designed. Again, the studies of the weekly injection and the daily pill were nearly identical. Each study enrolled a few hundred, mostly white men and women in their 40s and 50s, with obesity, specifically BMIs in the high 30s, which means they weighed about 240 pounds. Everyone in these studies received exercise and diet coaching and then randomized to either receive one of the drugs or a fake pill called a placebo. And these subjects were followed for about half a year to a year or so to see how their weight changed. For the weekly injection, the weight loss was pretty profound. So while those who were taking the fake pill, the placebo, lost about five pounds over the half year with the diet and exercise, the people who got the highest dose of the drug lost about 58 pounds, or 24% body weight, so going from about 240 pounds to about 180. Looked at another way, nobody who was taking the fake drug, the placebo, lost more than 25% of body weight, while those people who were taking the real drug, about one in two did. The daily pill also had impressive results. Similarly, they saw about a five pound weight loss on the placebo compared to about 36 pounds for the highest dose of the pill. And it's notable that overall, this is a similar weight loss profile to weekly Wagovi, the one that's approved now when people are taking, which again is an injection as opposed to a pill. I think it's hard to overstate just how impressive these results are. Like, a quarter of your body weight is wild. And even the daily pill getting the same results as weekly Wagovi is really, really striking. You might recall in the previous episode that Wagovi and Ozempic have side effects. And unfortunately, these medications also have similar side effect profiles to Wagovi and Ozempic. One of the many ways these medications work is by slowing down how fast food moves through the stomach and intestines, making you feel full and eating less. Well, that can also cause nausea, vomiting, and other gastrointestinal unpleasantness in general. Here, about half of the people reported nausea at some point compared to only 10% of people taking placebo. About 1 in 5 people threw up over the year when taking the highest dose compared to only 1 in 50 in people taking the placebo. Thankfully, these side effects are most common when starting the medication and tend to decrease over time. Too bad about these side effects. Hopefully, in the future, the drug manufacturers will figure out dosing strategies that reduce their intensity. And since these are phase two trials, we'll need larger phase three trials to see if the effects that we see here continue when you look at these drugs in more people. But I think it's remarkable how much progress there's been just this year on developing this class of medication for treating obesity. And these two medications in these two trials that we just talked about are just two examples of how the field is expanding beyond Wagovi and Ozempic, the ones that we know best now. So both in the daily pill that we talked about, as well as in the weekly injection, which is even more potent than Wagovi 
which is already approved. And there are many other versions that are in development that maybe we'll talk about on a future episode. But overall, I think it's a very exciting time that there are becoming more and more options in this space for patients. It's really remarkable how quickly this area of medicine has developed. And it's even more exciting with like some of the new research coming out too, showing that these medications can actually be used outside of obesity treatment. So that's what we're going to talk about next. These medications have sparked new discussion about obesity in many respects, and one area of discussion is around the justification for treating obesity in the first place. While there is prior evidence that obesity causes bad health outcomes, some people say drugs like Wogovi are just vanity drugs, just used by people who want to be thinner. And it's true that before now, there were no major trials showing that these drugs reduce the chance of serious bad health outcomes. And that's changed in recent months. So we have an early report from the maker of Wagovi, which is Novo Nordisk, that that may be about to change. And again, this is hot off the press. They haven't even published the results of this trial, but they did put out a press release that created quite a buzz a few weeks ago. The press release described the headline results of a trial run over the past five years by Novo Nordisk. It was a massive trial across 41 countries where they enrolled more than 17,000 adults who were overweight and had cardiovascular disease. And they randomized these people to either receive weekly Wagovi or placebo, fake drug. They ran the trial for five years because the thing that they were looking to prevent doesn't happen every day. This was death from cardiovascular disease, meaning heart attack or stroke. So to find this rare outcome, you had to look in a lot of people over a long period of time. And what they found was that those people taking Wagovi every week were about 20% less likely to experience one of those bad outcomes, heart attack or stroke, than those people taking placebo. I was really blown away when they put out this press release. This trial changes how we think about the relationship between obesity and bad health outcomes like heart disease or stroke, and it's important for multiple reasons. First, it showed that Wagovi really works for reducing bad health outcomes like heart attacks, and a 20% risk reduction is a big deal. Second, it will likely greatly expand the number of people who take Wagovi. And third, it's some of the best evidence we have now that treating obesity may reduce the risk of bad outcomes like heart attacks. We don't know for sure that the reason for the 20% risk reduction in bad outcomes was completely attributable to the weight reduction since GLP-1 drugs do a lot of things, and we're still trying to really suss out and understand exactly how they work, but it raises the strong possibility that treating obesity and everything that comes with it likely altered metabolism in a protective way against bad outcomes like heart disease. It's definitely important to realize that there have been other studies supporting the idea that it's the change in weight that leads to beneficial health outcomes. There was actually a recent trial 
looking at giving semaglutide, Wagovi, to patients with heart failure and obesity. Heart failure is a common condition where the heart stops squeezing and relaxing properly, which causes a range of symptoms like making it difficult to breathe and move around. Like the previous trials we talked about on this episode, they randomly assign patients to receive either Wagovi or placebo, and they found that the patients on Wagovi experienced more improvement in heart failure-related symptoms than those people taking placebo. And it seems that the people who had the most improvement in symptoms were those who lost more weight. And it wasn't just the symptom improvement that was associated with weight loss. There were actually markers in the blood of inflammation that improved in proportion to how much weight was lost. So in summary, this is another trial suggesting that it's the weight loss that is causing these improvements in metabolic health as opposed to something else that the drugs are doing. On one hand, it seems intuitive that people who lose more weight feel better and are able to walk further, for example, but it's not really intuitive that losing more weight would improve a molecular marker of inflammation. So that's really interesting, and it's evidence that treating obesity improves health, defined in many, many different ways. I think what's really interesting is that these GLP-1 drugs are now being used outside of diabetes, weight loss, and cardiovascular disease. There are actually some early studies in substance use disorder. So we know that GLP-1 drugs work on the stomach and intestines. That's the main way it helps us eat less and lose weight. But they also work on the brain to reduce our urge to eat And some people, anecdotally, have reduced cravings for other things. There have been some studies in rodents showing that these GLP-1 drugs affect the brain's reward system and the release of dopamine. And in humans, there's at least one ongoing study at the University of North Carolina looking at whether Wagovi can reduce alcohol and cigarette use in those with alcohol use disorder who also smoke. So this is really the frontier of the use of these drugs beyond metabolic health to think if their effect on the brain could curb cravings, not just for food, but also for other substances that we also crave sometimes. It would be so wild if a medication originally developed for diabetes ends up being effective for treating substance use disorder. Like, this is basically a borderline miracle drug. It seems like large-scale clinical trial evidence for this is still a while off, but much closer is the use of semaglutide and other GLP-1s for protection against heart disease, like we discussed, which is still very, very exciting. It's really amazing how fast the field is moving. As we mentioned at the start of the episode, it's been less than a year since our last episode on these medications, 
But so much has been going on that we thought it really justified another episode. We first talked about new types of medications in this group that are even more effective than Wagovi, and also about trials showing you can take the medication as a pill every day and not as a weekly injection. We also mentioned trials showing health benefits outside of weight management, including that they can reduce the risk of death from cardiovascular disease, which is pretty profound. What are some big questions, Derek, that you're excited to see addressed by the field going forward? I think there are a range of important questions. One scientific one is why some people respond robustly losing 30% of body weight, while others lose very little weight. There is some evidence that genetic differences could be at play. Maybe we'll have to do like a GWAS study, which is Dan's favorite, but we're just going to have to follow that. It will be interesting to see how these medications continue to change the social dialogue about obesity as a disease, and it'll be interesting to follow access issues as well as demand increases, since this is a medication that, as we now know, is used for multiple, multiple things, and it's important that people with conditions like diabetes have access to this drug. I personally would like to see this drug maybe be used for why none of my experiments work. It seems like there's really nothing this drug can't do, but I guess we'll just have to see. I would enroll in that trial as well. If we can show that it can uh, make my GWAS work better, sign me up, Derek. (laughs) It's been really exciting to see all the progress in... Wagovi and Ozempic and semaglutide and GLP-1 agonists just over the year. Like, again, we came out with that other episode just a year ago, and even then it was, like, pretty groundbreaking, and there's just been so much done since then. So it's really, really exciting to see, and it was fun discussing it with you. It was great. I wouldn't be surprised if we have a part three in a year, but only time will tell. All right, Derek, thanks for chatting. See you later. 